Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. Simply entitled, It's Time to Mess with Your Mess. This is our third week in Four Sundays with Father. And um, I have three more truths I want to share with you. And the next week we have three more. How many feel like God has spoke to you something through so far? Amen. Good. I, I know we've read this every, every week, um, but not every week is everybody here. So we're going to read this entire parable again. Just as a backstory, this parable has always been called, or often been called, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, but it's not a parable about a prodigal son. There's no prodigal son ever mentioned in the whole parable. There's always a younger son and an older son. There's no prodigal son even mentioned. And the parable isn't about the sons anyhow. Jesus starts off the parable by saying, and a certain man, that's who the story's about. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. 
but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me? Father, I just thank you for the indescribable honor to share your heart with people. And yet, God, there's just no way that any man, much less me, can live up to that. So I just ask you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to speak through me. I ask you to to speak to the heart of every hearer. I take authority over every contrary voice, every distraction, and I declare your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Truth number seven. Asking for forgiveness doesn't change God's mind about you. It changes your mind about you. Uh, like everybody else, you want to, you know, you, you, we've got 12 truths to share through these three today, but we've got 12 for the four months, four weeks, and it seems like every time that a new truth comes to light, it's like, well, that's the best one. That's the one I wish everybody would get. And then I move on to the next one. It's like, no, no, this is the best one. But this one is, is, is so misunderstood. You, you, need, you need, as a believer and who's in a relationship, I'm praying soon a fellowship with the Father, you need to understand this about forgiveness. You need to understand that even captured in the word forgiveness, for means to do beforehand. We were foreordained. That means before you were born, God had already orchestrated the affairs of your life and set out a direction for it. So the word for is beforehand. And then given means it's a gift. You don't earn it. You just, you just give it. One of the greatest things you can do for yourself is to understand that about forgiveness. If you want to wait until the person deserves to be forgiven, you don't understand forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift you give somebody. Somebody say amen. And that person is not only the individual you're forgiving, it's you. One of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is forgiveness for somebody else but it's a a mindset that you have established that before they need forgiveness you've given it to them before they need it 
Before John ever aggravates me, I've already decided to forgive him. It's not a, it's not a credit card situation. It's a debit card. I've already got the forgiveness in the bank. All right? I'm not having to borrow to give the forgiveness to John. It's already in the bank. And when John harms me, he's making a withdrawal out of the debit account. It's, it's already given. I've put it into the bank expecting he's going to need it. Does that make sense to anybody? You need to know that's how your heavenly father sees you. When you came to him and got born again, when you gave your life to him, he forgave you of every sin you had ever done from birth until that moment, but also from that moment until the day you go into heaven. You got to know that. Because if you buy into a lie that when you go to God, he forgives you, you don't understand what happened with Jesus on the cross. Jesus didn't hang on the cross and say, this is the beginning. He said it is finished. And sin was paid, the debt for sin was paid for everybody, whether they accept it or not. All sin by everybody is already forgiven. When you and I accept that forgiveness, we benefit from it. Listen to me for a moment. When, when the son headed home, the dad saw the son before the son saw the dad. Luke 15, verse 17 and 18. But when he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. Forgiveness does not move God towards you. It moves you towards your father. Man, I feel this. Listen, you got to know this. Because for so long, Christianity has preached this shallow, emotion-driven Father God who gets mad at you. When you, when you make a mistake, when you sin, he, oh, I'm not going to talk to you now. I'm going to put some distance between us because you failed me as if he's surprised by that. You sinned, and so I'm going to withdraw myself from you. You let me down, so I'm going to ignore you now. And I won't hear your prayer until you ask for forgiveness. And I won't bless you until you ask for forgiveness. And I won't engage you until you ask for forgiveness. And I won't help you until you ask for forgiveness. Can I just be real frank for a moment? I wouldn't serve a God who left me in the moment of my greatest need. What kind of petty God is that? 
when I have fallen down and made a mess of my life, I don't need a God that's a million miles away saying, I knew you would fail me and let me down. I need a God who comes alongside of me and said, son, let's get up and try this again. I don't want him to sit off in the distance and judgment of me and calling me out and, and, and speaking all of my life. Jesus took care of all that on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You need to know something. That when you ask for forgiveness, it isn't changing God's opinion about you. He sent his son to die for you in that while you were yet sinners, he commended his love towards you. His opinion about you isn't about you. His opinion about you is about his character. And his character is a character of love. Love gives. Love believeth all things. The greatest of these is love because love never fails. We got to get out of Christianity this God who turns on and off like a light switch. I can't talk to him. He's mad at me right now because I sinned. I'm not condoning sin. But I want to tell you the greatest way to get out of sin is through your father. It's not of works that any man can boast about. None of us stand before God and say, look how good and how clean I am. Your righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. Your best is still rags, filthy rags. You're clean because of Jesus Christ. And he sees you through that. And that's how he engages you. So when you ask for forgiveness, it's not changing his mind about you. It's changing your mind about you. This young man in the pig pen changed his mind when he thought about, listen to me, when he thought about how good his father's servants were being treated. That's what changed his mind. At no time did he say, I'm going to go back home because dad's really mad at me. I'm going back home because dad's really upset with me. I'm going back home. I wonder if maybe he'll accept me. He all of a sudden came to himself and realized, my dad is so good, he treats his servants better than I'm being treated right now. I'm, I'm turning around and I'm heading back to dad. That's what forgiveness is all about. It's not bringing dad to you. It's bringing you back to dad. Somebody turn, turn to someone near you and say, that's a word, brother. That's a word. That's a word right there. Truth number eight. God has more for you than you've wasted. Come on. And me get you to thinking that you're so bad, you're so awful, you've been bad so long, you've been so effective at bad that your father can't fix it. Hey, this story tells us something different. Luke 15, verse 17. But when he came to himself, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. See what he says? Make me like one of your hired servants. How was this hired servants? They had bread enough and despair. My God shall supply all of your needs according to how good you've been. Well, that's how most people live. Your God shall supply all of your needs according to how good you've been. No, it's according to his riches and glory. It's about how good he is. And this young man came to himself when he realized that even though he had wasted his possessions in riotous living, the Bible says, that he knew that even if he was the least in his father's house, he'd have more than he has right now. Because the servants have, more, have all that they want and more. He says, Father, make me like one of them. But Father had a different plan. He put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and sandals on his feet. Listen, those are representative of three things. The robe represents his righteousness. The ring represents authority. You know, sometimes when J.J. will go out and he'll get something for me, I'll give him my credit card. And sometimes that's scary. If he looks closely, my fingers are... JJ, I need you to take this card when you want to need to. No, not, not, that he, not that he would ever do anything wrong with it, but it's just, I, I've said to him, there's $20,000 credit on this. Please be careful. <laughs> okay? <laughs> In those days, they didn't have credit cards, but you had a ring. It was your signet ring. You went to a shop to buy something. You... Listen to me. You use that ring. That's how you paid. You stamped that in the book. You wanted your servant to go somewhere and buy something for you? You gave him a ring. And when you went to that shopkeeper, that shopkeeper was not at all concerned with who you were. Somebody's got to get this. He was concerned with whose ring are you carrying? So when you show up with this guy's ring, I love what somebody told me years ago, a banker. My dad was very good about paying his bills. He was always, always, you know, in spite of his shortcomings, he was a man of great integrity. I went to the old Phoenix National Bank in Town Square in Medina to get my first car loan. Dad told me who to talk to, and I 
went to the office and filled out the paperwork. Most 18-year-old kids don't get to talk to the bank president, but thankfully I got to because of whose kid I was. That fits, doesn't it? And the bank president looked at me and he said, Mike, I want to tell you something. If you will conduct the affairs of this loan like your father has conducted his affairs, one day we will view you like we view your father. He said, your dad could write a check on toilet paper and we would honor it. I was there when my dad would buy real estate and write a check. This is in the 70s, $150,000, $180,000. He would write a check, and then he would get home and call the bank, and he'd say, Dave, I just wrote a check for $180,000. I don't have that much in the account. Can you get the loan papers ready? And Dave says, we'll take care of it, Mr. Rice. That's how, he, that's how he handled his business. All that mattered was it said Richard Rice on the check. It was Richard Rice on the phone. Your ring says, God Almighty, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And he'll do that. He's a big, big God. And this son, listen to me, the son didn't have that when he left. And the shoes represent peace. Your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. You know, dad was saying to this son, doesn't matter what you've done, I've made your righteousness whole today. It doesn't matter about your lack, here's a ring that shows my abundance. Here's the shoes of peace. The son left because he was, at, he was not at rest, but he came home. I want to tell you, this son ended up with more than what he left with. Don't let the enemy lie to you that you've burned out your favor with God. I'm not condoning sin. Our love for God draws us away from sin. Truth number nine. You've got to talk yourself out of a mess, out of your mess. Luke 15, verse 17. I'm going to focus just on four words. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him. He said, will say. When he's in the pig pen, he's by himself. Now the pig's... Pigs are the smartest farm animal there is, but they don't quite understand the English language. And they're really bad at theology and interpersonal relationships. They're, they're not good at any of those. Okay? They're just not, not good at that. 
The only relationship that they know is give us food. Get out of the way. That's all they know. Give us food, get out of the way. So he's by himself when he comes to himself. You got to get this. You got to get this, folks. And he said to himself, he said to himself, there are people in this room, you wouldn't talk to a dog the way you talk to yourself. You can't, any time, any and every time you talk bad about yourself, you're in complete and utter contradiction to what the God, Heavenly Father says about you. You can't talk to yourself like you're a dog and live like a son or a daughter. And yet, people do that. I'm a failure. You know, there's a dirt world of difference between somebody who has failed and somebody who's a failure. And how are you talking to yourself? The enemy has deceived some people by getting them to believe that they are a mess instead of the truth that they're in a mess. Listen to me. When the enemy gets you to the place where you think you're the mess, he puts you on autopilot. We had a dog that, I mean, dogs aren't inherently real, real smart, but some are smarter than others. Growing up, we, we had a dog that was really kind of dumb. And it was, it was almost funny to, that dog would, you know, was, it seemed like she was rambunctious first thing in the morning, you know, excitable. And, and she'd be walking around, you could take her tail and wave it in front of her face. And she's like, oh, a tail. And she'd start pulling on it and biting on it and chasing it. Just around and around. And we'd just laugh and laugh. And I honestly think the devil does that to people sometimes. Look what an idiot you are. Look how stupid. Look what a mess you are. Look what a failure you are. I guess you just start chasing that tail around. He says, my job's done here. I don't, I don't have to tell them they're a failure. They tell themselves that every time they look in the mirror. Bible, my understanding of a stronghold is it's a demonically induced pattern of thought that is contrary to the word and will of God. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds need to be pulled down. What are they? They're all contained up in here. Casting down imaginations. There are some of you that have imagined things about how your Heavenly Father sees you that are not at all how He sees you. 
Not at all. The older son in the story says to dad, I always kept your commandments. I've been obedient and you never gave me a fatted calf to celebrate with my friends. And the dad is shocked at this statement. Son, everything I have has always been yours. Catch that for a moment. The son is over here thinking, Dad doesn't love me enough, no matter how hard I try to give me something I so desperately want. And Dad is over here saying, you have not because you ask not. Because I would give it. I'd give it. And what the Father's wanting you to do is is to get out of here, you have to cast down this imagination that your adversary is God. Listen, we don't, we've got to the place even in the church today where we've made God our adversary. You know what I'm talking about. We need to bombard heaven. Well, we bombarded Tokyo and we bombarded Berlin and we bombarded Baghdad, do we really want to bombard heaven? Like he's like, got all this stuff. No, I'm not going to give it to you unless you bombard me. Sincere prayer request from somebody years ago. Pastor, here's the need that I have. I, Would you share with other churches and other pastors? Because if enough of us pray, God has to do it. No, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. But he wants to do what he wants to do. And you have a son that's living there all the time that had all this available to him. But he thought somehow, some way, he was falling short. Listen to him talk. Dad, look at I did everything. You in here this morning, you need to know something. You may have made a mess, you may be in a mess, but you're not a mess. Come on. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. How many believe that you are ordained of God? You're made by God. You are the creation of God. For you to be a mess means that God messed up. Have we sinned? Of course. Have we made messes? Of course. Have we failed? I told her the story that one pastor got up one time he said I want if any of you in this room think you're perfect I just want you to stand to your feet if you think you're perfect and without without sin without failure I want you to stand to your feet and 
back towards the back, some guy stands up. Pastor's like, um, I want to make sure you all understand me. If you are here and you think you're perfect, stand to your feet. If not, sit down. And he stood there. Pastor said, you mean to tell me you think you're perfect? He said, no, no, I know I'm not. I'm, I'm standing in honor of my wife's first husband. From what I hear, from what I hear, other than first husbands, there's nobody perfect. Listen to me for a moment. You need to learn to talk yourself out of your mess. Bible says you are more than a conqueror. Is that true or not? You are victorious. I love how God operates. He doesn't use a perfect person anywhere in the word of God. He just likes he goes from finds one messy person to one messy person to one messy person and he calls them out. He calls out the murderer Moses. He said, I want you to lead a nation. He calls out David. I'm going to make you king over Israel. He calls on Saul, who has been killing Christians. And he said, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. I'm going I'm to show you. God wants to show you how different things can be if you would quit making yourself a mess. Because, listen, once you become your own worst enemy, you just declare, you curse yourself with the words out of your mouth. I'm stupid. I'm, I'm just a failure. I... It's all my fault. It's my, I'm to blame. It's when he came to himself, I, I would that you could capture those words in your heart for just a moment. Because listen to me for a moment. He stood in front of dad and said, give me all that, a portion of all that I got coming. Give me my portion. And after a little while, he gathered it all up, and he left and wasted it. Are you hearing me? He wasted it. And, and then when he couldn't find anything to eat, he, he found somebody in that country, and he attached himself to that guy. And the guy said, yeah, I'll give you a job. Go out and feed my pigs. And he's standing in the pig pen, and he's watching the pigs, and he's, it's, it, he's thinking about... There, there's somebody who cares more about these pigs than there is somebody who cares about me. Because the pigs are eating and I don't have. Listen to me. How many of you would feel like a failure at that moment? I once found myself in a very difficult situation, an individual, grown man, had inherited a, a huge sum of money. And he got a tip about an oil well in Texas and invested every penny. And the oil well people only needed it for a few weeks and he could nearly double his money back. And it was all lost in less than 10 days. And I'll never forget his words. 
Mike, my father's whole life I wasted in 10 days. Everything my dad had spent a lifetime accumulating, I wasted it in 10 days. That's what this young son is feeling. I've, I wish that God, the Spirit of God would, I, I know he's speaking. I would that you would open yourself to the Spirit of God to speak truth to you right now. My words are falling short, but you've got to understand, he's standing in a pig pen. He has wasted his life. There's nobody that's caring for him. He's, he, would, he would like to eat the food that the pigs are getting. And in that moment, he says, this isn't me. Can I tell you, change doesn't come until you have that moment. Listen to me. Listen to me. You got to get this. He says, this isn't me. Because I have a dad. If I was by myself, this would be me. Are you getting that? I made this mess. I'm the one that messed everything up. I, I did this. If, if you're by yourself and you don't have a heavenly father, then you stay in your mess. But it was in the midst of that mess, all of a sudden, he realized, this isn't me. You know how I know it's not me? I've got a dad. And your heavenly father wants you to know You've got a dad. And whatever you find yourself in right now, dad knows that's not you because that's not how he made you. Are you getting this? More than here. It needs to be here. Because you failed does not make you a failure. Before we close, I want to talk about pig pens for a moment. Before this new truth about this parable, I always thought pig pens were a bar. Addiction. Mess. How many, how many can relate to that? I had a funny little story to tell. When we pastored in Toledo, we lived outside of Toledo, about four miles or so, in a little town called Walbridge, Ohio. And Walbridge doesn't have very many people. I don't, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, several hundred. But it had two bars. Yay! And... I could see both of them from my house. And of course, their biggest night, Saturday night. And, and the, the one bar, when I'd, I'd, we'd go out our back door and I'd sit on my back steps, it's, it's no farther than halfway down the wall back there away from us. That's how close it is. We were right in the city, and it was, it was that close. And 
Sunday morning, you know, I'm, I'm getting up early to spend some time with, with Father. And, and, I, and I like outside, so I'm sitting on the back porch. And that's also when they're cleaning up from the night before. And they're, they would come out every Sunday morning and start dumping all their bottles into the dumpster. And it would just, it was almost like the enemy was laughing at me. Look at our party last night. You hear that? If you're not careful, the enemy will. But you've you got to allow God to change how you think about yourself, folks. And we've got to change how we think about church. Because I want to tell you, there are churches today. And there are church people today that have made the church a pig pen. You know what the pig pen was? It was a place that spoke to him about how badly he had failed. That's what the pig pen was. Can I tell you that one of the most damning things about addiction, doesn't matter what it is, is it constantly says this to you, you're a failure. Let me know what I'm talking about. You're a failure. You've made a mistake. Even if it's a tragic mistake, the most damning thing about that mistake is not only just what, what you did, but, but the repercussions of that, the, the constant voice that says, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. And there are church people who think that their job in church is to point out other people's failures. And they're making pig pens out of churches. And, you, and listen to me, you know what people do? You know what he did when he found himself in a pig pen? He left. I, I, just, I just wonder what would be different if Christians understood that our job was not to create a pig pen in here, but our job was to celebrate a father in a relationship. If you feel called and anointed to point out other people's faults, I want to pray for you. Because you're not called to do that. You're not called to criticize. We're not here to criticize people's shortcomings or failures. We're here to celebrate the goodness of dad. And the love of a father. And the sacrifice of a son. And the truth and the comfort of a Holy Spirit. Come on, people. That's what we're called to do, to bring comfort and to, to celebrate. Get out of your mess. You need to talk to your mess. Would you stand at your feet this morning? That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice 
links are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.